0: Welcome, listeners, to the Corbett Roads podcast, where we like to discuss current financial topics and answer questions on the minds of our clients. I'm your host, Jeff McCoy, Managing Partner of Corbett Road. With me today is Corbett Roads Portfolio Manager, Russ Sarabian. Welcome, Rush. Hi, Jeff. So, Rush, hard to believe we're in October of 2020. I mean, looking back at how this year began in February on the onset of COVID to this, probably one of the quickest decline we've seen. Um, in the history of markets. I mean, I think we experienced a recession in 22 days to follow by the quickest recovery. And then here we are in October, and then to top it all off, we have probably one of the most uh, contentious elections um, that will be decided here in the next few weeks. So so given that and looking historically at how elections have impacted financial markets, what are sort of those thoughts and processes that we go through to position portfolios in anticipation of elections, or do we?
1: Um, the, to answer that, I think we don't make changes in anticipation of elections. We look at the trends of the industries and companies that we invest in. Uh, but what we do do is we essentially anticipate uh, a little more volatility, uh, a little more hesitancy on uh, some of our clients' parts around the election season. And it's just recognizing that you know between September and November of um, an election year, a presidential election year, stocks tend to be a little bit more volatile than they are on average. I mean, there's been, there's been some years um, where, you know, in the fall, stocks have been volatile in non-election years. Uh, in fact, you can look at 2011, 1987, where you've seen significant volatility and, and there was no elections or anything political going on at all. But in general, uh, what we try to do is just basically prepare and recognize that, hey, stocks might act a little uh, quirky around the election season, especially if you have a, a close and contested election. So that's essentially what we do at Corbett Road, is just preparing and recognizing the environment that we're in.
0: Yeah, I think there's multiple examples, too, coming back from clients on thoughts on certain industries or sectors of markets that we should look at in anticipation of who becomes president. I think looking at previous elections, um, that might be a big mistake to actually start anticipating the outcomes of those elections and how it impacts stocks. I mean, you can give current examples even coming into the Trump administration, correct?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure people who are looking at financial media and and other forms of media see, oh, this is the the Biden portfolio, the 20 stocks you want to own for a Biden administration or uh, uh, 20 stocks for Trump's second term. Uh, I think a lot of that is clickbait, honestly. People need to remember that stocks are forward-looking. So even if you have favorable industry outcomes – and let's say Biden gets elected and you know it's good for a specific industry a lot of times those stocks will be bid up ahead of time before the election and you know depending on what happens as a result of the election sometimes they sell off basically a sell the news event and so even if you are able to figure out which industries and in which companies may do well with certain policies often it's it's hard to really make money or trade around that that's why we look at Basically, long-term factors when deciding where to invest. Uh, back in 2016, Trump's election was a huge surprise uh, across the globe. Uh, markets were very volatile uh, around the the night of the election in the futures markets and in the coming days. And there was a lot of expectation. Um, you know, you heard a lot about you know financials doing extremely well because there was going to be deregulation. You heard a lot about infrastructure stocks doing well. Those stocks were bid up really. Over the next couple months after the uh, election, before the inauguration, but once the dust settled and we got into 2017, what you saw was a lot of the secular trends, the the growth stocks, for example, and and all the trends that we had seen in in industries across um, the S and P 500. Then you know those reasserted themselves. And in 2017, it wasn't those those names that did well after the election that uh, outperformed. It was the the ones that had been growing their earnings
0: and sales fundamentals took over. Yeah. And I think we can always point to fundamentals drive equity returns in the long run. So this is why we as investors um, tend to ignore short-term volatilities in markets and sp- focus in on fundamentals of companies. Correct?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's in the short term, you know, you have a lot of volatility, a lot of noise driving stock performance, whether it's at the individual level or at the index level, but in the long run, If a company is projected to do well based on a certain administration or based on certain policies passed by Congress, uh, if they don't actually execute and grow their sales, grow their earnings, their stock prices, we don't believe, will be rewarded for that. And so we really got to look at that, looking out the next four years, the next decade, which companies are going to grow their earnings, grow their sales, and we think those are the ones that will ultimately be rewarded in the markets.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of people, you know, are very highly skeptical of narratives around who wins, whether it's Biden or whether it's Trump on the reelection process that comes through. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about market performance. Let's talk about historical market performance, regardless of who's in the administration. Can you kind of give a, some context on a, a Democratic win versus a Republican win and how markets have typically behaved in the past? Absolutely.
1: I think there's some broad themes that we need to focus on, which is number one, and we think the most important thing, is at least in the United States, among large cap stocks, more often than not, they have gone up. They've gone up three out of every four years since 1980, uh, maybe even higher than that. So that's the thing. Stocks in general, in in this country at least, have risen over time. What does that mean? That means that they rise under multiple scenarios, whether it's a Republican in the White House, a Democrat in the White House, a split Congress full Democratic control, full Republican control. In general, uh, stocks have gone up over time. So you'll see returns. Um, they did do vary depending on the uh, regime, but overall, they're positive. And the, the second thing that uh, we would like to point out is that the times when stocks don't do well, it's the circumstances surrounding them that is what ultimately drives them negative. So Stocks, for example, under George W. Bush's administration during the 2001 to 2009 period were negative on average. But it wasn't uh, because George Bush was president. It was because he came into office two months before a recession began, which he had absolutely nothing to do with or involved with. And he left office right towards the end, or at least really in the heart of the global financial crisis. Now, People who want to get in, get political may argue, well, the policies did this, blah, blah, blah. We're not really here to talk about that. Ultimately, the stocks went down because he just happened to be president from 2001 to 2008. Subsequently, President Obama was elected in January 2009 after the stock market had already dropped 40-some percent. It sold off for a couple months, and you know, I think there was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, three days before the market bottom that said Obama's radicalism is killing the Dow. It bottomed three days later, and then there was a bull market. Uh, you can see what putting your politics or ge- even thinking about politics when it comes to the market and, and, and investing, what it can do. It can really alter uh, your ability to save for retirement or whatever your financial goals are. And you know what we try to do is focus on the long-term drivers. We look at the risks in the market through our, our multiple risk models and really do not think about politics in that regard. Uh, but the last thing I would point out regarding stocks and presidents is that Stocks always go down and they draw down in every administration, anywhere from 50% in 2008 and 9 uh, to a more mild 17% under the Carter, uh, Carter's presidency. But overall, you're not going to escape drawdowns um, because the person that you like is in the White House and um, stocks will do what they do. Um, and So that's a, a long answer to uh, what we think about uh,
0: <laughs> presidents and, uh, and the markets. Yeah, and I know you said said a quick comment on markets go down, uh, but ultimately markets are in positive territory through most administrations. Is that correct? And that they can't avoid drawdowns at any specific time um, of their administration.
1: Absolutely. I mean, stocks have gone up over time. At least, again, in this country, they've gone up under certain regimes more than others. But we just think honestly that's just pure noise and just luck. Uh, it really has nothing to do with you know who's in the White House and who controls Congress. Uh, so we are looking at the fundamentals. It's not to say that who controls Congress or the presidency is not important at all. You you look at the Affordable Care Act when it was passed, that was a boon for a lot of uh, managed healthcare names because it increased the amount of basically uh, candidates for them to to use and to to be under their umbrellas. So policy does matter in that regard. But in general, the, the market overall really we don't have to say more plainly
0: that it doesn't really care who's president or who controls Congress. Well, that leads a couple of questions coming back is obviously COVID has been a, a topic of many, many individuals and amount of debt or stimulus that we have to create in order to pull out of this economic uh, turmoil that we're in. Uh, talk about the tendencies going forward and the amount of debt um, expected to increase uh, regardless of whether it's a Trump re-election or a Biden re-election or a Biden election, what that means, where we are really from a debt perspective, that seems to be a topic on a lot of our clients' minds at this point. I know we've covered it in many, many macro musings and podcasts in the past, but we're still getting those same questions on debt levels.
1: Yes. Um, I think, obviously, the um, the deficits have increased significantly this year as a result of the the stimulus package as well as the decline in government receipts from the increase of unemployment. And, you know, f- we don't know what's going to happen, but th- there's anticipation that there'll be more stimulus. I'm not sure it'll come before the election. is only 20 days uh, from the time of this recording till the actual election. But it's a fair bet to assume there's there's more money coming into the um, the economy as a result. And there's, there's a couple ways to look at it. One, you could say if there was no stimulus at all this year. Would the automatic stabilizers that kick in automatic you know from the government, unemployment insurance, Medicaid, et cetera, would the and, and would the receipts to the government would that have been worse uh, without stimulus? Uh, it's It's hard to, you know really do that kind of you know alternate history. But one thing we've recognized is that the debt is here and it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere if you look at the the chart i shared uh, we shared internally last week which was the overall amount of debt including government including uh, consumer credit uh, including mortgages all that it's just been going up every year the only the only period that it went down was um the 2008 2009 pe- period which was a pretty pretty terrible economic time frankly so we've basically become resigned to accepting that debt will go up and the most important thing is is that debt affordable can the government and individuals households afford the amount of debt that's out there and what what ultimately drives that is the interest rates so which have been declining now for almost 40 years and if if rates remain low which we anticipate they will uh, the fed has said as much then debt servicing then the the amount of money spent servicing that debt will be lower
0: all else equal so and the amazing thing with that i think we're actually at almost a 40 year low with debt servicing levels, both on on the consumer and the government side. Is that not correct? Uh, yes, that's correct, uh, based on data from the
1: Fed. Um, basically, I mean, you think about it in simple terms. If you had a mortgage in 1990, you're paying 8.5%, and now mortgage rates are closer to 3%. Two You can either two things will happen. One, um, you'll either be paying, your payment will be a lot less, so you have a lot more extra cash left over, or two, you can afford a lot more house. So you're just thinking in those terms, the lower the rates, um, the more sustainable um, it is. Now, you can make arguments that long term, this is not sustainable because that means rates can never go up. And that may be true. But again, we're not here to argue with what's going on. We're just here to you know, try and manage money through the reality of the conditions. Uh, it's not our job to decide how much debt we need to have uh, or we should have. We're not here to necessarily moralize. And, and you know we may have opinions on it, but ultimately, we have to manage money in the conditions as they are set forth uh, by reality basically.
0: Yep. And and, and Rush, that leads to sort of my next question looking looking back at some of the questions coming back from clients is how you know how can this economy recover but I think when you lift the hood um, up and take a look at the engine there is there's a real case for uh, continued growth going forward from from this year into 2021. Is that not the case? As If you take a look at the underpinnings of the economy, do you think it's working well? And kind of what are our thoughts from there?
1: Well, I think there are definitely parts of the economy that are, are struggling and not working well. And you've probably seen that in the media and we, we've covered it before. Obviously, the travel and entertainment industry is still devastated. And it's hard to say when that will recover. The silver lining there is those areas are not a major part of the economy. And you know, we look at 2021, <clears throat> we don't want to make too many predictions here because if you asked us what we thought 2020 was going to bring last uh, in late in 2019, um, <laughs> we would have been uh, very wrong. But we think that the strength in housing and manufacturing in particular, which are two industries that are not as impacted by COVID, the strength that they've seen over the summer and into the fall has been, has been very impressive. We think that you know, economic growth has been a lot more resilient than we anticipated early in the spring, especially when COVID uh, broke out. I think everyone's been surprised how well the economy's rebounded. And those two areas are very important to the overall economy because they generated a lot of uh, additional spending, capital spending, as well as more jobs. So we've been very encouraged by the data we've seen out of the housing and manufacturing industries. Um, Service industries will continue to struggle, we think, until there's some sense of normality, but even they have come back to a certain extent So, And then top it all off, you have the Federal Reserve who has maintained and has committed to keeping rates low, to providing liquidity and credit to the markets, and they are not showing any signs of coming off that uh, mentality. And that is incredibly important to financial markets because by keeping rates low, you're lowering the discount rate, which uh, increases value of future cash flows, and that's really helped the market rebound. Um, So we're fairly uh, optimistic going into 2021. With the caveat that we do not know um, the outlook for COVID. We don't know what the post election period will bring. And the stimulus, it's unclear if we get more and if we do get more, when exactly that will be.
0: So, what about on a global basis? If we take a look at global PMIs or any type of indicators on recoveries outside of the US, kind of what are our thoughts there and your views? Uh, very
1: similar. I mean, global PMIs, uh, the Purchasing Managers Index, have been rallying. And you, know, you look at previous histories where the, the number of uh, countries that are showing PMIs above 50, which is the, the line in the sand between contraction and expansion, that has increased significantly over the past six months. And anytime you've seen that kind of uptick in that measure – Um, usually signified the beginning of a new economic cycle. So when you're looking at all the things that are happening, the market rally, the rebound in PMIs, the commitment of the Fed to keep rates low, those types of behaviors and activities typically occur early in the cycle. So we are confident that assuming no major second or third wave of COVID, no additional retrenchment, lockdowns, et cetera, all that said, we think we're early in the economic cycle. And even though the unemployment rates come down a lot, it's still... I think just under 8%. And so there's a lot of room there as more people get jobs over the coming years to get to get that rate down and improve the economy. Uh, typically, the economy and markets do best when unemployment is high and going down. And they do worse when the unemployment is extremely low and then pops up like we saw earlier this year. So pretty optimistic about it, frankly.
0: Good. And, and Rush, final thoughts. I mean, most of the things that we look at from an investment standpoint, from a tactical nature Um, is viewing Macrocast. And and what does Macrocast measure? What are the things we look at and kind of what are our views uh, from that perspective for our clients? Uh, Well, right now, Macrocast
1: is uh, positive. It's not significantly positive, but the the trend is going the right direction. The economic data has improved enough um, for a lot of our signals to turn green uh, on the economic side. And um, the markets have also improved. So the technicals that we look at have gotten better as the summer's gone on, but overall, you're looking at macrocast and it's positive, and we don't we don't believe it'll go negative anytime between now and the next six months. We don't like to I don't like to predict what the model's going to do, but just looking at the trends in the underlying data, looking at the commitment of the Fed,
0: it bodes well for our our risk model. Well, Rush, as always, I I always appreciate your insight and uh, and views. Um, I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in today's podcast. And if you want to learn more about Corbett Road and our additional thoughts and views on the market, visit our website at www.corbettroad.com. Under the heading Macro Musings, you will find our monthly commentary. Uh, For further podcasts, you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google, or again, simply visit our website under the Education Tools and Resources. I want to send a big thank you to our listeners, to our valued clients, Until next time, I'm Jeff McCoy. Thank you. Thanks.